WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, Congresswoman Alma Adams getting ready to address her constituents in her annual State of the District address. This year, more critical than ever, as the Congresswoman welcomes thousands of new people in her district. The redesigned 12th district still consists of northern Mecklenburg County, but now also includes a part of Cabarrus County as well. Meanwhile, all eyes now on House Democrats to stick together in the 118th Congress as Republicans now hold the slimmest of majorities. I spoke with a congresswoman from the WCNC Charlotte newsroom. Congresswoman, thanks for coming on Flashpoint. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's good to be back with you, and uh, uh, it's great to see you in this uh, new year. And, and you as well. Uh, what, if anything, we'll start here, can your constituents expect, um, given the current makeup of the new Congress? Um, it seems like the House Republicans are, are the majority, but it seems like the, the, the best thing you can say, they are fractured. Um, we know the Democrats are in a minority. For, for folks who are wanting effective governance, what meaningful legislation can they expect over the next two years, given the makeup of the U.S. House? Well, uh, thank you for the question. But, you know, um, I think that there's still a number of things that we can do. Um, and we have we we're in the, the Democrats are in the minority, but um, the numbers are just um, uh, the Republicans are just barely in, in the majority and we're barely in the minority. So I, I think that they, they, that gives us an opportunity to uh, to come together and and focus on those things that not only the citizens care about, uh, but that um, uh, that members of the, the members of the House care about, uh, whether you're Democrats or Republicans. And so, I think we'll have an opportunity to talk about issues around uh, education, around the environment, housing. All of those things that um, that are important to my district here in Charlotte, and even transportation. <clears throat> uh, so um, everybody, while I mean, I think they have they have more numbers, but I do think that there's a considerable amount of interest in uh, in terms of, of both parties and in, in, in on the on many of these uh, areas. Um, give us your thoughts on it's it's the dust has now settled now, but your thoughts on the, the battle for House Speaker as it played out last week? Well, I'll tell you, it was um, it's pretty um, uh, depressing to see that um, because especially for our citizens to observe it. However, they get an opportunity uh, to see who wants to govern and who doesn't. Uh, I thought it was um, just a, uh, a terrible display uh, to go 15 rounds. Uh, so it just shows you how splintered the uh, Republicans are in terms of even trying to, that's the first order of business that we have, you know, to elect a speaker. Because if you don't have a speaker, you don't get sworn in and so forth. So it took us, what, five days, 15 rounds uh, for me. I was the first one, um, first one up. So I had to always be ready uh, to, um, uh, to uh, put forth uh, uh, my speaker, my choice for speaker, the Democrats' choice for speaker, uh, the first African-American, Hakeem Jeffries, who was a brilliant young man. Uh, and I'm just looking forward to uh, to working with him. But it was just, a, I think, a, a horrible display 
uh, that um, our citizens really didn't need to observe and that we didn't we really shouldn't have had to go through but they were just not not organized they they're splinters even still so um, that happens but the people tell me that they haven't seen it all the folks who've been there for a while tell me that this is the first time that they've seen any display like this in in in, in years well they haven't seen it uh, you, you call it a terrible display. In, in an editorial this week, you wrote that um, recent move by Republicans had the potential to be disaster for black America uh, in that op-ed. Uh, given that, given the th thought that you said that this was terrible, what they did, um, but prior, your answer said that you did think there was room for compromise. Reconcile that for me. If you think that, that they could be horrible for black America and you think what they did was terrible, where is that room for compromise that you're so optimistic about? Well, I think one of the things uh, that we still know is that uh, there's still some dissension uh, in the Republican Party, and they they're still not um, uh, on 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 task with. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, speaker um, what the speaker did in terms of making um, uh, making a lot of um, uh, decisions uh, without some of his members and and the things that he promised. And so I think that there'll be folks who will see that uh, they may not be getting what they need there. And so uh, we're going to be putting forth um, good legislation, uh, and which, which would, I believe, uh, give uh, many of the Republicans an opportunity to come across and, and um, work with us on things that are meaningful for, uh, for the citizens that, and the, the um, constituents that they represent. So, you know, all is not lost. All is not lost. Um, you, you've said how important it was and, and how meaningful it was to have Hakeem Jeffries now, um, Democrat leader in, in the House. Ex explain to us why it is, it is so important to have voices uh, like his, voices like yours, um, a diversity of voices in the U.S. House, specifically in positions that they have not been in the past. Well, first of all, that was certainly historic. That was a historic vote. Uh, to vote for the first ever uh, Black Speaker of the House uh, for uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who has in his, uh, I think it's been eight years for him uh, that he's been in the, in the, um, in the Congress, uh, but he's been a leader. And um, I think it's important for us, first of all, that the Congress ought to reflect uh, the nation, uh, the makeup of our country. And uh, that's one of the things that I can certainly say about the Democratic Party. We certainly uh, have the diversity. We don't just talk about it. Uh, you can actually see it. Um, let's talk about some issues real quickly. Uh, let's first talk about transit, a pressing issue here in the city of Charlotte. You, you know that. Um, the city hoping to finally pass some sort of transit plan going into the next 20 years. Uh, the problem with that is that they have to get buy-in from state lawmakers and they have to get in buy-in from federal lawmakers if they want funding. Well, this past week, Tim Moore, who you know, Speaker of the House here in North Carolina, had said that any plan that Raleigh would support would have to involve some sort of expanding of roads, more lanes. It was, was very road-focused. And, and as you know, the city has said, no, what we really wouldn't want to focus on, sure, maybe some roads, but we want to focus on, on rails and buses and bikes. And this is where you come in. The, the federal money that would come from some of these grants typically is dependent upon things of, of making sure that it's an innovative transit, uh, you know, and that it's going to be used and that um, rail is involved and green energy is involved. 
how can we find some common solution when you seem to have a huge problem here in Charlotte and, and differing opinions from the different stakeholders that, that need support? Well, you know, we're going to continue to do uh, what we know is the right thing to do um, at the congressional level. I'm very disappointed in uh, in uh, Speaker Moore and and the approach that he wants to take. Uh, but I, I think uh, again, we're going to have to come together and and call everybody come to the table. But I do know uh, that uh, at the federal level, we're going to focus on uh, making sure that the needs of our cities. Are provided for, and and I certainly will be uh, on task uh, in terms of Charlotte. My emphasis will be on uh, what matters to Charlotte and our cities, and maybe in some way we can reach the state. Uh, but we've got some really good, um, I think, stakeholders, some people here in Charlotte who are working at the state level, and so we'll try to bring them together uh, as well. Our conversation with Congresswoman Alma Adams continues after the break. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week, we're speaking with Congresswoman Alma Adams. I spoke with her this week from inside the WCNC Charlotte newsroom. I, I remember last year after the infrastructure bill passed, uh, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg came along with the Vice President Kamala Harris and, and spoke with you and spoke with others. Um, do you feel like there's a good chance we could score some of these, some of these grants, um, some of this federal money that, that is really critical because you're talking about billions of billions of billions of dollars. I think $13 billion is one of the latest numbers that's been thrown out when it comes to this transit plan. I think so. Um, you know, we've had uh, one of the things I will say for my Republican colleagues, they have also uh, agreed uh, in terms of community project funding. And of course, maybe we'll be able to expand that. Uh, we were able to secure over about 20, almost 21 million for uh, projects here. Uh, in Charlotte, we'll certainly be working to uh, make sure that we um, continue with these kinds of investments and uh, because uh, they create jobs and, and jobs create, uh, you know, jobs with better pay and, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, we're going to continue to focus there. Um, I'm going to be tapping into the Transportation Committee and, and my colleagues there and Hopefully, we'll be able to work together to to get what we need. We're certainly gonna we're gonna push to do that. I'm not gonna let up on it. Uh, and uh, whatever we can get to bring back, that's what we're gonna do. Um, this week, Zillow came out and said that Charlotte was the hottest real estate market in the country, which is a cool thing. It's a great thing. It, it's it's cool to be part of such a, a thriving, exploding city. But but as you know, city leaders say affordable housing is the biggest problem here. Uh, in the city of Charlotte. What, what can the federal lawmakers like yourself do to make a city like this while expanding and exploding in so many wonderful ways also extremely unaffordable for some people? Well, first of all, I think we have to recognize that different cities have different needs. You know, one size doesn't fit all. Uh, but I, I, I um, you know, again, I think it's going to uh, come, I think. I think what's going to ultimately happen is that we, we're going to have to uh, have people with um, uh, like-minded ideas and and try to bring folks to the table and and really um, uh, impress upon them uh, what the needs are. We'll have advocates uh, coming out locally as well uh, as um, uh, we have always had to really help 
get the ideas across. But you know, I think I think we'll be able to. You know, I I'm very optimistic, and even though I see that there's some division in terms of the Congress, I think that there's some like uh, likenesses and like-mindedness in terms of ideas and needs that people have, even though. Uh, um, every city is different, and again, one size doesn't fit all. So I'm going to be focusing on uh, the needs here in Mecklenburg and and the portions of Cabarrus. Nearly three years into the pandemic, it seems like COVID is really still hitting a lot of people hard. No, no demographic more than really black mothers. Um, the the maternal death rate for black women got actually worse over the last three years because of it. Given what I know you've already done on the issue, what more can be done? to make sure that, that this issue is focused on and addressed? Well, first of all, um, we're just excited about uh, what we were able to do uh, in terms of uh, really bringing attention to Black maternal health and uh, some many of the problems people who look like me didn't know about it. Uh, but we have uh, taken the time to not only educate the Congress, but educate the nation uh, about it. We're going to continue to do that. We have a, a number of uh, folks who are working with us uh, through various organizations uh, that are helping us to continue to do that. We almost uh, we were almost able to get the whole momnibus uh, package in. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, deal with certain portions of, of the momnibus package to uh, try to get um, as much uh, into uh, whatever um, uh, things we're able to do financially, uh, because a lot of it has to do with money. Uh, but we're going to continue to uh, pound the pavements and make sure that people are, are thoroughly educated about this problem. It is a problem. It hasn't gone away. As a matter of fact, it's gotten worse. The pandemic certainly didn't, uh, didn't help. It exacerbated uh, many of the issues that are out there now. So uh, it is still um, on my agenda. Uh, I'm going to be working uh, through the Black Maternal Health Caucus with uh, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, and uh, we have uh, some proposals we're putting on the table to uh, not only try to get uh, the other part of the package uh, uh, passed, uh, but to make sure that we continue to keep this issue on the forefront in the minds of our American citizens. Uh, an important issue uh, it is. All right, Congresswoman Alma Adams. Congresswoman, thanks for coming on. As always, we appreciate it. And thank you, Ben. You have a great day, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, sounds good. You do as well. Coming up, a big week both in Raleigh and down in Columbia. More on that coming up after the break. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This past week, North and South Carolina lawmakers returning to their state capitals to start the next legislative session, and they have a lot they want to get accomplished. Here are three things lawmakers in Raleigh are set to focus on. Number one, leaders could finally expand Medicaid here in the Tar Heel State. It would bring federally funded health care insurance to thousands of folks struggling to make ends meet. Right now, North Carolina, just one of a handful of states without expanded Medicaid. Number two, the legislature now looking at a 13-week abortion ban. House Speaker Tim Moore telling reporters the plan is still in the works, but there would be exceptions for things like rape, incest, and protect the life of a mother. And then number three, legalized sports gambling. Right now, the state allows sports betting at three tribal casinos, but leaders are optimistic they would be able to expand the program as well. WCNC Charlotte's Lexi Wilson has more on what this could mean for business. Legal, taxed, and regulated. 
That's the goal for North Carolina lawmakers when it comes to sports betting. Sports betting in North Carolina is already a $1.7 billion industry here in North Carolina. And it's really time that we um, regulate that, um, make sure that it's safe for consumers, um, and also ensure that North Carolina can benefit from the revenue that would be gained from that. Right now, sports betting in North Carolina is only legal at the state's three tribal casinos. Last year, lawmakers tried but failed to make mobile sports betting legal. Now, another go for the win. Uh, it is something that um, I believe uh, has the support of a majority of, uh, of, of both chambers. Mobile sports betting is legal and live in 23 states and in Washington, D.C. Three additional states have legalized it, but it's not yet operational, according to the American Gaming Association. Meanwhile, North Carolina is currently an untapped market. A lot of other states are moving forward, and I'd hate for North Carolina to miss out on their opportunity. Steve Hall, president of the American Ultimate Disc League, says betting has become intertwined with the games itself, but knows it can become a problem for some gamblers. It's documented people can get addicted to betting like they can get addicted to a lot of other things in life. So I think we, as the sports world, do need to spend time, resources, and money on educating fans. Lexi Wilson with that report. And you know what? It's not just North Carolina starting their legislative session. Big plans also in the works in the Palmetto State. Three key issues legislators there are likely to take up. First up, like in North Carolina, abortion. Just last week, the South Carolina Supreme Court ruling the state's six-week abortion ban violated the state constitution. Now lawmakers will have to go back to the drawing board after months of negotiations last year. Number two, legislators want to hold folks who distribute fentanyl accountable. They're looking at increasing sentencing for anybody who hands out what would be a lethal dose of the drug. And then number three, school choice. Senate leaders say their first priority is dealing with something called educational savings accounts. The program would allow parents to send their child to a private school using state money. All of it to give parents more say in the education. But of course, critics point out it undercuts public education. So it'll come here on Flashpoint. Charlotte transportation leaders preparing for a potential bus driver strike. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Many questions about the CATS schedule over the next few weeks. The Transit Authority releasing a contingency plan for operations if workers go on strike. Bus operators overwhelmingly voted to authorize a strike after months of failed labor contract negotiations. It's important to note, CATS does not have a say in those negotiations or agreements because of state law. WCNC Charles Jesse Pierre in Uptown with what riders need to know. If bus drivers decide to go on strike, CATS says it will not know until the very last minute, but it does have a plan in place to provide some service. But it could mean folks will be waiting much longer for a ride. I use uh, Charlotte's transportation probably every day to get pretty much everywhere I need to go to. People who depend on public transportation on high alert, as a strike would significantly impact bus services. A little nervous just because I'm trying to get a new job right now, so I rely on the bus and the transportation system as a whole. So it would probably affect my routes like a lot, and not just mine, but a lot of other people's. Katz says the union representing the bus drivers along with the management company continue to negotiate the terms of the labor contract. But with no agreement, a strike is on the table after a favorable vote by bus drivers over the weekend. Now, it does not mean a strike will happen. However, Katz laid out a contingency plan if bus drivers don't show up to work. 
The agency shared three different scenarios to provide limited services in the Queen City depending on how much staff it has. Routes would be prioritized based on ridership and service essential destinations like hospitals. Wait time could be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and all express routes would be suspended. Keep in mind, rail operators would not be affected by the strike. Katz says it is hopeful that both parties will reach mutually beneficial agreements so it can continue to serve the community. And riders are hoping for an outcome that doesn't lead to massive disruptions. Drivers are pretty much essential for the city, especially for people like me that don't know how to drive a car yet or like the, the people right now that are just coming off the bus. Cat says it will be using all of its communication channels like the website, the app, social media to alert riders of a strike and any changes to routes. In Uptown, Jesse Pierre, WCNC Charlotte. And folks, you can come interact with us on social media as well. If there's something you'd like us to cover here on Flashpoint, let us know. Always a good place to chat about things. And always remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next Sunday at 11 a.m.